would remain standing for the scripture reading, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. Next Sunday, we'll be moving back into the book of Revelation, which is where we were most of the fall, starting early in the fall. And we're in chapter 8, so I encourage you to catch up if you're a little bit behind. But if you're new to our church, and maybe this is even your first Sunday and you'd like to come back, you can listen to sermons from the last uh, semester, last fall. We'll be in Revelation 8, but today we're going to continue to linger in the season of Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, but there will be a connection to Revelation, I promise, the author of this letter, ultimately God, but it's John, the same one who wrote Revelation, the one carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what he captures in the first chapter of John is truly amazing. From the beginning, giving us the title, and the word became flesh, to the verse, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, to then the encounter of John the Baptist, his disciples, and then finally Jesus. And what we're going to be looking at closely is the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, beginning John 1.35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In chapter 1 of John's Gospel, if you want to have a rich adventure this week, just read slowly and underline all the different names that Christ is given in this section. It's very powerful. Many commentators note that. But it's also important to see how they build on one another. John's being carried along by the Holy Spirit 
gives great intention. Begins with the name, the word of God. And then Nathaniel speaks, calling Jesus Rabbi, the Son of God, the King of Israel. In John 1, there are 38 references in 51 verses to sight, to seeing, to having something revealed, to beholding. In chapter 1, 11 times the word see or saw is mentioned, with Jesus being called the light that overcomes the darkness. John is seeking to show us this illumination, to show us the grandeur of who Christ is. Ten weeks from today, we will start Holy Week. We will start with Palm Sunday. On that Thursday night, we will have our Maundy Thursday service, which will end with you hearing the last seven words of Jesus. That statement doesn't mean there are literally seven words, but there are seven statements, seven phrases that Christ gives. Well, this morning, what I want to do as we linger in this season is to simply look in John 1 at the first seven statements of Christ. Now, these are not the first things Jesus said. He's now 30 years old. But in John's gospel, the same one who wrote the book of Revelation, he gave us the very first seven things Jesus said as he was calling the disciples to himself. Now, you may be thinking this is going to be a seven-point sermon. It's not going to be longer than a two- or three-point sermon. But these statements are amazing, and they're easily missed. So let's begin with the first one. What are you seeking? The very first thing that John gives us is the words of Christ, and they come in the form of a question. John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, one of the titles. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He'll say that later. That's the essence of the gospel. You need to know that word, that phrase. Behold the Lamb of God. When John says that, two of his disciples now begin to follow Jesus. As they're following Jesus in verse 38, it says, Jesus turned, and there's that word, saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? We read our Bibles too fast. The same man who asked those two that question is the same God asking us that question today. Be honest, friend. What are you seeking? Today, as you got up to come to church, what were you seeking? Were you seeking more knowledge of God, which isn't necessarily bad, but it's not enough? Or are you really seeking to know God? J.I. Packer, 50 years ago, wrote, Knowing God. And the first several chapters of that book, he speaks about the danger of knowing about God, being theologically literate, being even intellectual, or even being pious and committed to devotions, but not actually knowing God. There's a difference. What are you seeking? Let that question linger. Today, what do you want more than anything what are you longing for? It's a new year. Some people strike resolutions to change their body or to change a habit. How are you doing, by the way? It's January 14th. Keep at it if you can, by God's grace. But why are you doing what you're doing? 
What's motivating you? And everything that we pursue, work, play, raising a family, building friendships, it must always be about seeking Christ first. What are you seeking this morning? Be honest. Jesus didn't ask, what should you be seeking? He asked, what are you seeking? Notice that the two disciples didn't answer his question. They asked him a question. Where are you staying? Which reveals Jesus' next statement, that I don't want to go there yet. What are you seeking? Jesus is going to tell them as he gathers others around him on the Sermon on the Mount what we should be seeking. Anybody that's following Christ, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Today, brother and sister, friend, is Christ the supreme pursuit of your life? He deserves it. It's what you need. It's what you ultimately have been made for. But this side of heaven, especially in a place like Dallas, the buckle of the Bible belt, we tend to say, I'm seeking Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus finances, Jesus plus power, Jesus plus popularity, Jesus plus good health, Jesus plus. And all of a sudden, those things that are in addition to Jesus begin to become more important, more powerful. The very thing we're after in Jesus moves into the background. You won't have it. Christ has told us, seek me first. Seek my kingdom first. What are you seeking today? Did you come here this morning longing to worship him, seeking him most? For many, that may be true, but for some, if you're honest, it's not. There's so many other things that you're consumed by, and it's diluting that passion. How can you know? Maybe simply by asking the Holy Spirit, what am I seeking? And wait and listen. Another way to know is just simply ask the question, what are you thinking about? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Whatever that is, that's likely the thing that you are tempted to seek. Friend, as Christ reveals whether or not you're seeking him first, cry out to him. He asked that question, and I think it's amazing. Because the very first question in the Bible, going all the way back to Genesis, is not from God. It's from Satan. And Satan's question to Adam and Eve, specifically to Eve, is did God really say? And what you realize is that Satan, our great enemy, is wanting to take the word of God out of people's lives. Did God really say? Eve responds and tells them what God did say. But they eat anyway. They break the law that God gave that was meant for life. Relationship with him. And then comes God's first question in the Bible, which is actually the third question. And it's this, where are you? Now Adam speaks. Adam says, we were afraid because we were naked, so we hid. Now comes God's second question. Who told you you were naked? Third question, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to? And then you see the brokenness of sin. The relationship between God and man torn. The relationship between God and woman, or man and woman torn. Between all of them broken. Adam says, the woman you put here with me. And there you see it. Sin has entered the world. The first question God asked is, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know. It's because from the beginning of the Bible to the end, what he's teaching us is that I 
the living God am seeking my people. I know where they are. I'm omniscient. I know where they are. I'm omnipresent, but I'm coming for them. Where are you? And then as John's led by the Holy Spirit, he gives us Jesus' first question. What are you seeking? What a great question for us to ask today. It leads to the second statement of Jesus. Though the two disciples don't answer his question, they follow up with a question. Where are you staying? Now comes Jesus' second statement, verse 39. He said to them, come and you will see. Jesus teaches us something here. That in the personal relationship we have with him, so often when we bring our questions to him, he gives us an invitation. He doesn't tell them where he's staying. He just says, come and you will see. Today, you come into this place and no doubt you have questions. Something hasn't gone the way you want. There's something you're confused about. There's something you're afraid of. And in God's grace and mercy, he gives us the freedom to ask him questions. I'm walking with a man in our church, Renee Keene, whose wife has a terminal cancer and it's gotten really bad. Together, we're walking and he's asking the right kind of questions. But some of those questions aren't gonna have answers. God knows that. And so often when we ask our question, he doesn't necessarily answer what we, with what we want. He gives us himself by saying, come and you will see, you will see him. They're gonna hear Jesus say later, where am I staying? Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Later on, we see the third statement. Look with me at verse 42. These who have seen Jesus now are so compelled to go and tell others. Andrew moves towards his brother, Simon Peter, or Simon. In verse 42, here's what we see. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, this is Simon, and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Again, we read our Bibles too fast, slow down. Think about this. Peter hears, or Simon hears, that we have found Jesus. Jesus has given them a question. What are you seeking? He's given them an invitation, come and see. But now he sees Peter. And he looks directly at Peter and he says, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. We know he's called Peter, so we move on. But pause. What must that have been like for this man named Simon to have this man who they believe is the Messiah to say, I'm changing your name? His identity was changed. And that's what the one who asked the question, what are you seeking? Who brought the invitation, come and see. He changes our identity. In just a couple of chapters, he's going to have a conversation with the religious ruler Nicodemus, and he's going to say, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter heaven. And he means it. 
Paul's going to take that, and in 2 Corinthians 5, he's going to say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Christianity is not a clever self-help manual that helps you get through all the things that aren't going the way you want. Christianity is a union with Christ where we are made different. Our identity changes. We move from those who are children of Satan, enslaved to sin, to those who've been set free and now have Christ through his spirit living in us. Our identity is not in question. The reason we should be seeking him is because he is our Lord. Whatever we do, it's secondary, whether it's parenting, grandparenting, being a friend, it doesn't matter, it's secondary. What's primary and permanent is that we are his beloved sons and daughters. He says to Peter, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Peter has no idea what's about to happen. As he enters into this three-year journey, he is going to see this man who just changed his name stand up in a boat and say, be still to a storm that's threatening to kill them. That same man later is going to be standing on that same body of water and he's going to tell Peter to get out of the boat and walk to him. And Peter will become only the second man in history to walk on water, at least for a moment. And then he takes his eyes off of the Messiah and he begins to sink. And he will feel the arms of Christ reach out and grab him and pull him in. Peter is going to hear Jesus say, Lazarus, come out. And Peter is going to hear Jesus say as he looks him in the face, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus is going to tell him, you're going to deny me. And Peter's going to deny that he'll deny him, but he will. And there, Peter is going to look from his boat and see this Messiah that just changed his name, cooking him breakfast when he says three times, Peter, do you love me? And each time meets that question with his call, feed my sheep. He changes us, not just our name, our whole identity. The fourth statement comes in verse 43. Look with me. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Now, this is important. He found Philip. Philip may communicate like he's the one who has found Jesus. But going all the way back to Genesis 3, where are you? It's God who is the one who's on pursuit. Philip, he found him. And Jesus says to him two words, follow me. The one who has given us this question, what are you seeking? Who has given us the invitation, come and see. The one who has transformed us and changed our identity now gives a command. It's not just an invitation. It's a command. It's a calling. Come, follow me. All the disciples will soon hear that as Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. Even before they hear those words, they're beginning to do it as Philip moves towards Nathanael. He says to Nathanael in verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Isn't that interesting? Same words that Jesus spoke. Come and see. Maybe that should be the way we speak to people about the Lord. Come and see. 
I know you have questions. Come and see. I know Christians are irritating. Come and see. Like Zacchaeus, climb above the crowd to see the real Jesus. Come and see. Nathaniel, Nathaniel knew the word. Nathaniel knew what was being promised. Philip has seen him. And now he says, come and see. And so he does. And this leads to the final three statements of Christ, the first statements in the Gospel of John. They're in verses 47 and 48. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, that means look, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Christ is honoring him here. He knows what he said. He's telling the truth. That's his fifth statement. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I want to take four and five, or five and six together here. What Jesus reveals through this encounter with Nathanael is that he knows us perfectly. He sees us. He sees and knows everything about us. He sees us in our homes. He sees us at work. He sees what we're looking at on our tablets. He sees what's going on inside us that we're not willing to speak. He sees every part of our life all the time. He knows you. He knows right now what you're thinking about the question, what are you seeking? He knows that you're tempted around other brothers and sisters to actually lie about that because of fear of man. He knows you and he sees you and he loves you. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Because he does know him. He knows what he was doing. He knows his name. And so Jesus then speaks, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel's response, it's irresistible grace. He says, Rabbi, another title, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then we get Jesus's final statement in the first chapter of John, the seventh statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see greater things than these. And then in 51, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What does this mean? Many commentators think because of Nathaniel's familiarity with the Old Testament, Moses, the prophets, that he likely was having that picture of the ladder going up from heaven to earth. And he's beginning to realize that Jesus is that ladder, which is true. But these words are futuristic. They're pointing to another day. And Nathaniel will not be the only one to see greater things. All who trust in Christ are going to see greater things. That's you. That's me. But so is the one who's pinning this letter. 
So is the one who's being carried along to write this letter. John, the gospel writer, is the one who gave us the book of Revelation. What did John see? Just listen as I read from Revelation 19. John writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The first name that John gives him is the name that Christ has as he comes and the heavens are opened. These are the seven statements of Christ in the first chapter of John. Ten weeks from now, this Thursday, in the evening, this sanctuary is going to become dark. As it does, you will hear the last seven words of Christ read. Father, forgive them, for they knew not what they do. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. These are the last words of Jesus. We've looked at the first recorded in the Gospel of John. What are you seeking? My prayer is that you would be seeking the one who has sought you. The one who has asked the question, what are you seeking? The one who has given the invitation, come and see. The one who changes our identity from being a slave to death and sin and hell to living in freedom for him, with him forever. The one who gives us a command to follow him tells us that he knows us and then gives us a promise of a vision that is far greater than any of us can ever imagine. Are you seeking him? In a moment, we're going to come to this feast. This feast is for God's people, those who've responded to his invitation, those who have realized he has sought me and made me his own. It is not a Presbyterian table, but it is a table for those who belong to Christ. If today you know you're not in Christ, maybe the reason he has you here is so you could hear these seven statements in the Gospel of John. And as I pray, if you feel led, 
pray to him now. Jesus, Lord, save me. Rescue me from my sins. Trust him, rest in him, receive him. If today that is not you, and you aren't ready, you're still rejecting it, you aren't sure, we are so glad that you're here. But we would encourage you not to come forward and partake of these elements, lest you eat and drink judgment on yourself. If today you're here and your answer to the question is, I'm not actually seeking Christ as I ought, well, that's not the standard. It's not about our performance. If you're in Christ and the Lord's revealed to you today that money or power or a relationship or whatever is ahead of Jesus, confess that to him and come and take part in the one who has sought you and even gave you that insight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for these questions. We thank you for the statements that Jesus made. We thank you that you have given us who are in Christ the desire to seek you first. And if even that seems distant, you've at least given us the desire to desire. Oh Lord, if there are those in our midst who do not know you and now is the time of their salvation, would you bring the awareness to them in this moment? Friends, simply pray to Christ. Save, save me, Jesus. Forgive my sins. Be my Lord. Father, as we partake, let this nourish our bodies and overwhelm us with the truth of your presence. The very one who spoke to Philip and to Nathaniel and to Andrew and to Peter and to Lazarus is the same one who speaks to us today through his word and spirit. It is no other. We thank you for this. In Jesus' holy name, amen.